come as you stand this evening. Let's worship the Lord. This is an old hymn of the church. It simply just says, just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait, just a little while to linger, linger in the path that's always straight. So let's uh, worship the Lord today. Start in the right key, man. I still had the other song on my mind.
Let's remain standing for prayer this evening. Father, we thank you today for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you, God, that you are a very present help in time of trouble. Father, I pray tonight as we worship you today, Lord, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, we ask that you would come in our midst. I know some are not able to be here tonight for various and sundry reasons. But God, I trust you. I know that you're still a very present help today. And Lord, we are just coming tonight to worship you in spirit and in truth. We will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. It is due your name. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Miss Cindy, I'm going to ask if you'll watch that computer for me. Uh, it's wanting to freeze there a little bit on me. Just watch that for me. These are going to be a lot of old praise courses. You might know many of these. These are songs we have sang many times around here before. We're just going to worship the Lord together. Let's sing together.
song of the church it was written in 1978 but it is a song that I think that still rings true today for all of us today 
Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that you are so precious to us. Father, as we get ready to segue to the next portion of our service, I pray that your spirit would move, Lord, and move inside of us, because we know in you we live and move and have our being. So, Father, I pray today you would speak to the hearts of the men and women that stand before me today. Father, we will forever give you the praise, the glory, and honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask all these things. And the people of God together said, amen, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. Amen. Brother Larry, when you go, you'll check that air conditioning for me, please. I may just be hitting hot flashes early in my life. I'm not sure. Hallelujah. Those joining us online, God bless you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Those that some of you, some of those folks online are working. Some of them are traveling home, like April Craven. She is on her way home. She she flies home tomorrow. She's somewhere between here and Kansas City, somewhere. And she's going to be laid over for a while in an airport, and then she'll come home. But she'll be back. We thank God for that. She's had a wonderful time, and she's learned so much. And she's already excited. They're getting ready to have a, uh, when they open up here, they're going to have some kind of family and friends and whatever you want to call it. Basically bring all your people and get some free food. And uh, just to see what Freddy's is all about, I told her to let me know the date because I'm all about free food. And uh, even if I don't want to eat their food, I'm going to eat it anyway because it's free. Can't beat free food. I didn't pay for it. God is good. I like that. So uh, make sure that you be on the lookout for that as well. Uh, those that are uh, part of our church, you already know this, but those joining online, uh, don't forget to download the church apps that tells you about the church and tells you about what's all going on uh, in terms of the church events and uh, keeps up with the sermons and the podcast and all the stuff that goes on with that. Don't forget, you can always give to the church in a variety of ways. Uh, you can do it online, SanteeCircleCOG.org. You can do it in person. You can do it on an envelope. You can do it on the tithe.ly app, and if you, we'll even add a fifth way to give. You can call my cell phone number, and I'll come pick it up. We'll add five ways to give, so there's no excuses, and uh, it'll give me an opportunity. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to our uh, Google uh, and Apple podcast. It always has our services out there from every Sunday, every Wednesday. We have it all. Don't forget next week, if you haven't already signed up for it, you need to sign up for it. Because if you don't sign up for it, I'm not going to be prepared to know you're coming. But uh, we are doing baptism next Sunday morning after church. And uh, God's going to really, I just am excited. I think right now there's seven on the list that I've already talked to about baptism, six or seven. So, man, that's exciting. This will be the first baptism I think I've done uh, here at this local church uh, since I've been here. So seven, six or seven, that's an exciting day to be able to have seven, six or seven people recommit their faith and say before God and man that they love Jesus. And that's what it's all about, loving Jesus. And so we have baptisms. Those of you that are getting baptized, I have a special gift for you. That is why we ask for your T-shirt size. You will get a T-shirt, custom made. No one else in this church will have it except you that get dunked. And uh, you'll always be able to have that shirt. So if you say, oh, Pastor, I like those shirts. I want one like that. You know the drill. You know what you got to do to get it. It's a little costly. Got to get a little wet. But it's going to be an exciting time. Also, that same day, uh, we will do something that uh, I am probably most excited about 
maybe only second to baptism. Baptism is probably number one. But the second favorite thing that I'm most excited about is our children's ministry building is finished. It is done. It is ready to go. And we're working hard. Miss Jeannie and Miss Sandy are going to be out here this week doing all kinds of stuff and getting it set up ready to go the way they want it to go. But when it's all said and done next Sunday morning, we're going to dedicate it back to God. Not that I, I have appreciated all the years that it served as a garage. I appreciate all the years it served as the flower closet, served as the, you know, overflow, the banquet hall, the ice machine holder, the whatever you want to call it, the pew warmer, the, you know, the wall decor. I don't care whatever, whatever it is. It's been a catch-all for all these years. It's done it all. It's had a nice journey. But tomorrow, uh, next Sunday, we're giving it a new identity. It's not a shed anymore. I mean, the back part still will be because i got to put the ladder somewhere. But the front part of it, we're excited because it's not just going to be a shed. It's not going to just be a building with no purpose. It is going to be our kids' home, away from home. And they're going to have a wonderful time in that building. Miss Jeannie and Miss Sandy have got a power-packed program set up. They've talked to me about it. Man, I can't tell you how excited I am to let these ladies and their helpers get to work and go out there. The kids have never seen it. Only a handful of people have actually seen it. Besides myself, when it was all since it's all been finished, and uh, but I'm telling you what, when you walk in there next week, you're gonna be like, wow! I'll tell you this little sneak preview of this: nobody in the entire world, not just the United States, in the world, has what we have in that building. We have had it customized to our church, our logo, our identity. There's not another person in the entire. Now some might try to replicate it after they see it. Once you see what it is inside of there, there is not anywhere you've ever been that's going to have the exact same look to what's back there right now. It is super exciting. I'm almost thinking about resigning from this position and being the kids' pastor and taking a different job just so I can be in that building every week. I think that would be exciting. Uh, I don't know if that's good for your kids, but it would be fantastic for me. Uh, I would be excited to go out there and sing every move I make, I make, and you, you make me move Jesus and be in that building. It's so cool. And so we're excited about that as well also because next sunday is family worship day you know the drill we always try to have family worship sunday there won't be necessarily a kid's message in next sunday morning service because we're going to dedicate the building later but next sunday night we're just going to gather together a lot of you have been through a lot over the last few weeks and months you've just been struggling and we're going to get together and we got some chicken left over in the freezers from other things that we can throw out and Things like that. We just want you to bring a dessert, a finger food, or whatever else. In a safe way, we want to just spend some time with you. We want to love on you. We'll have had baptism that morning. We'll have had kids' dedication that morning. We'll have had a whole slew of things that morning, that night. We just want to fellowship with you. I just want to love on you. I just, you know, there might be a small devotion that we'll do beforehand, but I just want us to fellowship. You know, right now, I believe more than anything else, we just need each other. We need a, 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 a neck to to cry on, a shoulder to cry on, a, a neck to hug, someone to fist bump, someone to high five, and every once in a while it's just nice to tell somebody, you know what, I'm tired, you know, I'm tired, and just let them love on you for a little while, and that's what we want our men's and women's Bible study and discipleship nights to be like, uh, as we continue to get this thing off the ground and rolling, it'll start separating, women will have their thing, and now that the kids ministry building's done, the guys can go out there, and we can have fish fries, and low country boil and all that kind of stuff and you ladies can just do whatever y'all want to do while we're out there eating that we might share if you're nice to us but uh, we'll have some good times in the Lord but uh, I saw a meme the other day of the Lord's Supper and it was hundreds of plates of food I mean looked like a buffet of food 
And here was the caption. It said, if the Lord's Supper had been handled by southern cooks, and it was a smorgasbord of food, and I believe that with all my heart. I'm already having a uh, suit shop because my pants are getting tighter every Sunday, and uh, they're beginning to get uncomfortable. I almost left the house this morning without a belt because I thought I'd already put it on because my pants were tight enough without the belt, only to discover when I got about halfway to my driveway, I looked down, realized my belt wasn't on, I went back in, but it's just barely hanging on. It's not even tight. It's just loosely hanging there for decoration purposes. It's just a decoration item. So some of you guys know how to cook, and uh, I have been thrilled to share in the food and festivities with you all. What a time we had today in the Lord this morning. And uh, I just love how God always moves um, when we need Him most. Today, if you have your Bibles, I won't keep you but for a moment. Two reasons. One, because I'm already getting hungry. And two, because I'm hot. That's a recipe for two reasons to preach fast. I'm hot and hungry. Not really in any particular order. They both are feeling about the same right now. So we're going to believe God. You listen fast, I'll preach fast, we'll eat fast, and I'll get out of these clothes that now feel like I've been baptized in already today. Psalms 13. Psalms chapter number 13. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, only to honor the reverence of God's Word, not because of me, but because of the Lord today. Hallelujah. I read part of this a couple Sundays and nights ago when I called the church to prayer. And the Lord brought me back to this scripture to preach on it a little bit more. Not necessarily to rehash what I already said, but to give a different thought about it. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? It's a question. David's asking a question. It would be the equivalent of someone asking today, how long is this going to last? How long? Sister Sherry and I had a conversation just a couple weeks ago about a very serious situation that's going on with her family that was mind-blowing, mesmerizing. And the folks involved even said, this will forever change my life. I think this is just going to, I'll never be the same again. This is just different. I bet you if they were in this building today with all that's going on, I bet there have been days they've laid in their house and asked the Lord, Lord, how long am I going to have to walk this road? This is not what I asked you for. This is not what I expected. I won't put you on the spot, but I wonder if anybody in the house tonight has ever asked God, Lord, how long is this going to last? How long am I going to have cancer? How long am I going to face this? How long? David even goes a step further and he says, God, is it even going to be forever? Do I get even a break at some point? Or is this going to be like the Apostle Paul described, the thorn in the flesh? Is this something I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life? How long will you hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Am I going to constantly have sorrow in my heart daily? Well, I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people that have that question. God, how long am I going to have to self-soothe myself? Because right now, my heart's always feeling like it's broken and shattered and destroyed. How long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long am I going to have to deal with this pestering and this persistent devil that just keeps coming after me? Then it's like something changes in the psalmist, David. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He said, God, if you don't help me, this thing's going to kill me. 
He said, God, if you don't help me right now, God, I need your help. If you don't help me, this thing will put me in an early grave. Anybody ever said that before to God? God, if something don't soon happen, this thing's going to put me in an early grave. It's going to stress me out to the max. He said, God, if you don't help me, I'm going to die prematurely because I can't handle this much longer. Because, God, what if my enemy says that I have prevailed against them? What if the enemy says they beat me? What if the enemy laughs and says, ha, ha, got him? What if the enemy says, I'm defeated? What if those that trouble me rejoice when I move? When this all this falls apart around me, what if all my church friends, what if all my church family, what if all my physical family, you know you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Hello. What if all my close network of people, what if when all hell breaks loose, what if they turn their back on me? Think about that for a second. What if all the people that say they're my friends and my confidants, what if when I hit rock bottom they are happy and they rejoice and they love the fact that I am going through something and they feel justified? What if they make fun of me? But Lord, verse 5, he says, but I have learned to do one thing, Lord. I have learned to trust you. And not only have I learned to trust you, I've learned to trust your mercy. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserved. Mercy says, I should have died because I was a sinner. Mercy said, I should have been on the cross. Mercy said, I should have never been saved. Mercy said, it should have been me that suffered and died. But God's mercy is... God made sure I didn't have to deal with something that I deserved to get instead. You see, he said, God, I've trusted in your mercy. Because I know there's a lot of times in my life I didn't deserve the outcome that I got. But, Lord, you were good to me even when I didn't deserve it. Can anybody say tonight God's been good to you even when you didn't deserve him to be good? Even when you didn't deserve it, he still was? He said, my heart shall rejoice in salvation. What he's saying in a nice way is he said, God, I thank you that you still love me and you still saved me and you still thought I was worthy. God, I thank you that you still love me in the midst of all of this. And because of that, I will sing unto the Lord, worship. I will praise you. You can call it praise. You can call it worship. You can call it, uh, you know, Judah, which means praise. You can call it a Yoda praise, which is a loud and singing and a spontaneous praise. You can call it whatever you want to. He said, but God, I'm going to sing unto you because you have dealt bountifully with me. Some translations will say, Lord, I will sing unto you because you have been good to me. He's been good to all of us. He's been good to all of us. So I want to be like the psalmist David. I want to pose a question to this body will you push will you push because I'm here to tell you right now the world is doing everything it can to push their agenda on you hello what y'all do just decide not to be Pentecostal tonight what happened nobody talks back now man y'all must have had a good lunch y'all all got sleepy try this one more time the world has no problem making sure they push their agenda on you. 
So my question is, when is the church going to push back and we push our agenda on them, i.e., the things of God? When are we going to push back? Will you push? Father, to the very best of my ability, and under the direction of your Holy Spirit and the counsel, the guidance and counsel of your wisdom, I pray you would anoint these lips of clay, you touch this mortal man's body. God, I'm just a frail piece of clay. It's been called to serve for the master's use. Open eyes, hearts, and ears to do, to hear, and to say what thus saith the word of the Lord. And let us not only be hearers of this word, but doers thereof. Father, we will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And all God's people together said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you, Miss Carol. I appreciate all you. It so makes it so much easier when you're reading your scripture. She always has a hard time because in services like this morning, when the Lord stops, starts moving, she's stuck. Y'all probably noticed it this morning. She was like, okay, I've been playing this organ long enough. Let's try a different instrument. And she slid over to the piano to be a little more comfortable today uh, in all of this. And so we uh, always appreciate everybody. We appreciate our whole band. Let me say that. I appreciate all the band singers and everybody that uh, is a part of our, our worship team. Uh, but uh, I really appreciate her always being willing to play and to do these types of things uh, when I get ready to preach. Will you push? You see, in life, the devil's got a lot of stuff he wants to push on you. The devil, if he could have his way, he'll push his agenda. He'll push frustrations. He'll push depression. He'll push oppression. He'll push heartaches. He'll push broken pieces of your life. If the devil has his way, he'll push you up against a wall and into a corner and back you into a corner that he has no intention of ever letting you out of it. The devil is like that little annoying kid that used to be on those TV commercials, for those of you who ever watch TV. I don't know if they were brothers or not. All I know is the two people that were sitting there and ended up transcending into some adults sitting in a car at Sonic one day. But in these commercials, started with kids and then eventually some of the other commercials picked up on it. And then there's these two guys sitting there at Sonic drinking slushies and eating a burger. One guy puts his finger about as close as he can to the guy's face. And he says the following words. I'm not touching you. The guy says, put your hand out. I'm not touching you. That little annoyance, just right there. I'm not touching you. Put your hand out. But I'm not touching you. See, that's how the devil is sometimes. He will just keep pushing the buttons till he gets you to snap. Everybody has a breaking point. If you say you don't have a breaking point, let me work with you long enough, I'll find it. Everybody has a breaking point. Now, everybody's breaking point looks different. Some people's breaking point, they cry. Don't raise your hand if that's you. But some people cry. Some people, when they get so mad, you know they're mad based on the fact that if they start crying, they're real mad at that point. Some people just cry because their feelings are hurt. That's their breaking point. Some folks, if you're like me, if you're in this body and this uh category I feel bad for you because it could be a blessing and a cursing but if you're like me some folks their breaking point is when they get real quiet you need to know something's not right see I like to have fun 
I love going outside. That's why I've fallen on asphalt and broken limbs and done all kinds of crazy stuff in my lifetime. I've been out here with these kids playing softball in the field before and doing all kinds of stuff, chasing them down the field and running around in this parking lot and all this kind of I love having fun. I love I love talking with people. I love meeting new folks. I love smiling. I love fellowship. That's why I love our men's and women's lives. I love just hanging out with folks. But when I'm quiet, something's not right. That's not my personality. That's not in my DNA. But when I get to my breaking point, I'm talking about when I'm so mad that it's going to take God to help me get over it kind of mad, I get quiet. Because I know that it's better for me to be quiet than to say what I'm feeling in the moment. So I get real quiet. And I will often say to people who like to push, <laughs> when they ask, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you so quiet? Why are you so quiet? What's wrong with you? Have you ever had somebody that you just was tired of them asking you what's wrong with you? you just ready to haul off and slap them right across the face and say, I feel much better. Now quit asking. You ever want to do that? I've never done that to people, but I thought it would be a good idea. I just thought it would make me feel better. In my head, I can't tell y'all, this is, uh, we went Sunday night, we common folk, we church folk, I'm going to tell y'all right now, there's been a lot of people I've mentally slapped, and they didn't even know I hit them. I'm just going to be honest with y'all. They was getting on my nerves, and in my head, I just went, whoosh, and I was like, ooh, that felt good. But they never felt it, but I did. I was like, yes. Stop asking me questions. But some people, they'll do, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you so quiet? Why are you so quiet? There's got to be something wrong with you. There's something. And I'll say, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. You wouldn't be, if you were so fine, you wouldn't be so quiet. I'm fine. You're not, you're not telling me the truth. You're not fine. What's wrong with you? What's wrong? You need to tell me. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I'll tell you one more time. If you would like to still live for us to talk tomorrow, I am fine. That means my version of fine and your version of fine might be different. But in this moment, hush. Leave me alone. Quit asking me questions. Quit touching my button. And let me be fine. Let me just sulk for a few minutes. Now, a lot of times in my, li- in my personal life, I will only stay mad for about a minute and 45 seconds. It just I just have to be mad for a minute to feel justified that I was mad. I just want to feel like I was right, even if I wasn't. I'm one of those people, I can admit when I'm wrong, but I like to be right first before I know I'm wrong, so that at least I feel good about myself part of the way. Then I'm like, oh man, I was wrong. It only takes me about a minute and a half, minute 45 seconds. After that, Brother James, normally I'm like, yeah, I was probably wrong about that. Yeah, that was a bad idea. But just let me have my two minutes of mad. Just let me be mad for two minutes. Let me be quiet and just sulk for a moment. Some people, their breaking point is they get so mad they get combative. They get physical. Domestic violence. We see it on TV all the time. You know what that is? Somebody who hit their breaking point and they snapped and then turned into violence. A lot of murders. A lot of things that happen. You've probably been watching the news about the young lady on her hiking trip in Wyoming and out west. Beyonce comes back home to Florida. Now he's missing. Nobody knows where he's at. He's, he's just missed. I can't prove it, but you know what I think happened? There was a report out that the two of them got into a discussion, was arguing, and some other folks called the cops on them. The cops showed up because there was a report of domestic situation going on, to which both this young lady and her fiancé said everything was all right. The young lady was, says, well, I have some anxiety issues and things like that. And he was telling me to stop and pull myself together and all of a sudden we just got into it and that's what they did. You know what I really think happens? No, I don't have any proof. You know what I think happened? He snapped. He reached his breaking point. 
And I think, you know why I think that? Because you don't run unless you're guilty of something. Only people that run are the people who feel like they're guilty of something. See, everybody has a breaking point. A point where they're going to snap, where something bad may happen. Some people cry. Some people get combative. Some people get quiet. Some people, not all people, but some people get real vocal. Y'all ever met anybody like that? They all of a sudden have decimal levels and voices they've never knew we even owned in their body. They become very boisterous in their conversation with you. That is a nice way of me saying they're yelling at you. Now, uh, Brianna has never experienced this yet in terms of our relationship. Now, she's never seen me get to this point yet. But there are people in my life that have had seen me get there. I have had many days in my office, not here, but in general, as a pastor, a counselor, that a couple or people at the church came in and they started at it. Whoosh, yelling. Screaming, yelling at me, yelling about the church, yelling about this, especially when I served at other locations, yelling about the church, what they don't like. I mean, they just yelling. I'll sit right there. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you all one little inclination. I've been here two and a, a little over two years now, so it's like all the gloves come off. I'll just tell you all my little secrets so you know all about me now. And uh, since you're stuck with me at this point, uh, here's the bottom line. You come to my office and you yell, I'm going to sit there real quiet and just stare at you. You can yell for an hour. You can yell till you get laryngitis. In fact, you can yell so much to the point I'll be like, I won't even say nothing. I'll just hand you a bottle of water just to replenish you so you can yell some more. And when you get done and you go, well, Pastor, what are you going to say about this? I'm going to say, when you can talk to me like a human being, I will be glad to carry on a conversation with you. But if you're going to talk to me like I'm some idiot or some child, then I don't have anything to say to you at this moment. Now, for some people, that's going to put them on a ceiling fan and put that thing on high and watch them just spin for hours at a time. But I'm going to tell you right now, I do not, my personality does not do well with people yelling at me. You want to talk to me nicely? You want to come, even if you come and tell me, Pastor, I hate your preaching, I hate, your, I hate the way you do church, and I'm leaving this church. If you say it nicely, I'll be happy. I'll be like, you know what, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'll pray with you, and I'll bless you going out, and I'll never say a bad thing. Where You come to my office, you start throwing everything around my office, and you start slamming things down, and you start throwing songbooks at me, and you bring you know, a whole repertoire of things, and you just start, I'm just going to sit there and be like, now you're done when you want to talk to me like normal. We can talk. Because some people's breaking point is yelling, screaming, hollering. That don't work well for me. might work well for you, but I don't do it. That's not my thing. Everybody has a breaking point. David was at his breaking point in Psalms 13. David had been running for his life. Kind of like we've been preaching on Psalms 3. David has been constantly on the move during this season of life. He has learned how to flee from Saul man that he was summoned to work for. Saul was being vexed with evil spirits and the Bible said that the, that David was contracted out as a professional musician and worship leader to come so when Saul would get in these moods, these bipolar moods and mood swings, the Bible said when David would go in and play the anointed songs of Zion and David would play worship songs, the spirit of Saul would just kind of settle until one day it didn't settle. Saul got in his mind that David was trying to take over. David was not the one that asked Samuel to come to his house and anoint him king. If you remember, David was in the field. David didn't even get invited to lunch that day. That's pretty sad when your dad lets all your brothers come in and eat with the guests, but you've got to stay outside and work. That's a pretty sorry dad right there. 
David's working in the field while everybody else is waiting in line to see who's going to be king. That's the prophet Samuel's coming. Samuel, we know, chose David. He asked, is there any more Jesse sins for David to come? And he said, that's the one. So, I mean, David never asked for Samuel to come anoint him. David wasn't sitting out there in the, Lord, I really wish that I wasn't a shepherd. I really wish I was the king. Lord, I wish you just let Saul die so I could be able to. David never asked for the position. Can I tell you most of the time, God only elevates people in positions to, people that, to the people that never asked to be in that position. God doesn't like pride. God does not like air. Pride goes before destruction, the Holy Spirit before the fall. I can't tell you how many people, and I'm going to step on some toes, and I know that it's probably going to hurt me on Facebook, and I'm going to lose more friends. That's just okay with me. I can't tell you how many people that I've went into camps, calling ministerial studies with uh, for the church of God, how many people that I've went through internships with, how many people that have graduated after those programs to get their license after me and some that are now ordained bishops like me, some that are still waiting. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen come through those doors of those offices there in, in uh, Malden and, and come and take the test. I can't tell you, and some of them are now pastoring churches. I can't tell you how many of them came through thinking they wanted this position because it was a place of position. It was a place of prominence. It was a place of popularity. It was a place to be able to say, well, ain't nobody. I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, well, you know, I was a youth pastor, but I wanted to be the senior pastor because I knew when I got to the top that everybody would answer to me then. I didn't have to answer to nobody. I would be the one calling the shots, and I would be the one doing this. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't care if they're listening and if they feel convicted in spirit, then they can get mad at me, and I'll pray for them. But those same people that had that attitude, I have watched their ministry. They have went from church to church. They've destroyed every church that they've went to. They've tore up churches. They've watched churches split under them, and they keep the clean. Cleveland and, and Malden keeps giving them church after church after church. They keep breaking them. They keep destroying them. Then people like me or other people come in and follow behind them. I'm not saying this church specifically, but I'm using people like me in examples. They come in to try to pick up the pieces of what's happened. And these folks that wanted the popularity, wanted the prestige, wanted the notoriety, they think, oh, well, I get behind this. This is not a place of position. This is a place of humility where you stand behind here. What happens is, David never asked, but Saul got jealous that somebody he thought was coming for his position. One day, David's playing before him. Saul sees his spear laying to the thigh, and the Bible said he grabbed it, and he hurled it as fast as he could towards David. David moved at the last split second. Had David not moved, he'd have been pinned against the wall with a spear. The man of God. David had become best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David knew the prophecy of David being king. Jonathan even accepted it and said, David, I know you. Jonathan, his own self said, David, I know God's called you to be the next guy. Even though it should be me, I know God's called you to do it. Jonathan helped David run from his dad when his dad was being malicious and vindictive. He protected David. I'm sure, no doubt, David felt like, well, this is not the way I would have drawn up being groomed to be king, running like a scaredy cat, nowhere to go, being hunted down like a criminal. I can imagine David was in a spiritual fog, if you will. You know what fog is. Fog is where you have limited or little to no visibility of what's ahead of you because it's fog. It's foggy. 
When the windshield fogs up in the wintertime, do you drive? No. You put the defroster on because you need the defrosting of that windshield so you can see where you're going. Well, I'm sure there's probably some idiot out there that's tried to drive with the defrost on, I mean, without defrosting their windows and hope for the best. But that's just stupidity because you don't know where you're going. You defrost it early in the mornings, especially around springtime and stuff when the dew settles. Early in the mornings, I remember when, when I was a kid and even in ministry when I've had to get up early, early to go to hospitals. I, can, I have driven at night, even leaving Brianna's house before and driving home at you know, 11 o'clock at night or whatever. I have driven where it's even been the fog had settled already in the night. And, the fog, and you couldn't see probably me to that front pew what was in front of you. It was so foggy out at night. I didn't know what was on the other side of the fog. There could have been a lion, a tiger, a bear. There could have been someone standing there just waving with a flashing light telling me they broke down. I couldn't see them if I wanted to because the fog had blinded where I was going. I believe, I believe David was in a fog. I believe he thought, well, how long? In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, coined saying that this particular psalm, he calls it the howling psalm. H-O-W-L-I-N-G, the howling psalm, because he says that all in, there's four times that David asked how long. He says, so this is like David kind of crying. Out. That word how long, and it would have been like David crying out. He said it was almost like a howling of like that of a, of a wolf or a coyote. It was like David's own way of just crying out how long. You see, fog, fog's unique. Fog will keep planes from flying, motorists from driving. But what is interesting about fog, as, as quickly as it comes, it also quickly goes. And when the fog is lifted, life moves on. Planes start flying, people start driving. But I have come to learn that the fogs of life are not always easily lifted. Some people stay in spiritual fogs a whole lot longer than they should be in. We often feel like there's nowhere for us to go, look up, look down, look left, look right. Our spiritual fog hides our view of God upwards, hides our view downwards with all the things going on. It hides the direction we're going. It doesn't let us see what God's already done. We're like fogged. We can't see anything. We're helpless, confused, hopeless. It's kind of where David was in this situation. David goes on to say he's got a problem. It's got a problem. Look back what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? David is saying in those how longs, he's saying, God, I got a problem. How long am I going to live like this? How many nights am I going to cry? How many times am I going to keep dealing with this pestering enemy that will absolutely not leave me alone? God, when is enough going to be enough? How much longer has this got to last? I got a problem. You, sir, you see, in certain trials and situations in life, we may have some control. There are times in life, our, in our problems that we face in life, and some of those problems, we have the control ability to do something about if we want to. You live next door to some crackerjack, weird dude, and he's some messed up criminal, and he's, you know, sketchy at best, and you don't like it, you know what you can do? You can sell your house and move. You have the ability to do something about it if you wanted to. If you start having money troubles and, you know, not making enough money or, you know, 
you know, you feel like you need a little bit more money to get over your little hump or whatever you're facing, you know what you can do? You get a second job because you can make ends meet that way. Some people get a second job. For all these people that say, I can't find a job, they're not looking hard enough. They're everywhere. They're having, there's restaurants around here that's closing down on Mondays and Tuesdays and on the big old sign, not open due to no staff. That's pretty obvious. They obviously need help. Sign up. Pick me. Even Chick-fil-A, God's Chicken, is, uh, is uh, having a staffing crisis. They broke my heart because they have changed their hours and they made me work slapped to death when I was growing up. They, we didn't close till 10 o'clock, and I do mean 10 o'clock on the dot. And if somebody walked in at 9.59 with 15 bus loads of football players, you were just stuck because it was not 10 o'clock. And I used to pray for those buses to break down on the way to Chick-fil-A every time. Because when Somerville would play Stratford or Goose Creek or Dorchester at Somerville High School, it never got open until 9.59. All the buses would show up at Chick-fil-A, and I had to cook chicken for those folks wanting to go home. The other day I got a text message because I am got like 14 million Chick-fil-A points. I'm one of those special people that gets all these emails. You, you need to start using your points. It says, due to staffing crisis, we have now limited some of our breakfast items and simplified our breakfast menu. Chick-fil-A, y'all. God's church. God's chicken. And they have said, we have adjusted our hours. We will no longer be open until 10 p.m. We're closing at 9 p.m. I don't really know what that one-hour difference is going to do with the staff, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure that part out. I would understand, but, I mean, we closed one hour earlier, so what I mean the rest of the staff? They're just going on. I'm a little confused on that, but that's all right. But on the bottom of that says, but if you're interested, please come by and see us and take an application. We, are opening, we have opening interviews daily. See, people could find a job if they wanted it. But there are some problems in life we can't control. They're outside of our ability to control. Only God can make a difference in them. There are some things we face that God allows us to face them so we can realize just how little bit of control we have and how much we really need to be dependent on Him. Sometimes God lets us walk through fiery trials to prove to us we're not as special as we think we are sometimes. See, God will move, use problems to move us out of a place of comfort and complacency into a place being drawn to Him. You see, God also knows that movement is necessary for growth and it's also necessary for sustaining life. Prime example. Go home, lay down on your bed, and never get up again and see what happens. Just let people bring food into you, round the clock meals. And just lay there and see what happens. This is what's going to happen. Obviously, everybody knows Brand is a nurse. And obviously, everybody knows about her dad's situation. He got the you know viral pneumonia and all that kind of stuff. Had to do proning and all that kind of stuff to, to be able to breathe. Now, proning, obviously, you know, it's different ways you lay and things like that. But even before COVID happened, people get sick. Whether it was pneumonia or whatever. You know what they always would tell people? Don't sit around. Keep moving. Because the, dono the donation or the donation of movement means that while you're still moving, you got a chance for that stuff to move out of the way. But if you just sit, that fluid's just going to settle. And when it settles, it'll kill you. I mean, I'm just going to be blunt. It'll kill you. It's just how it works. 
That's why at the hospitals and all these other places, they try to get you up, try to get you to walk, they try to get you to do things, even after surgeries. They want you to get, I mean, I've seen people had a knee surgeon by that afternoon. They're trying to put pressure on it and get them to stand up, at least stand up by the bed. They want them to move because movement sustains life. Laying down, you die. You know what depression is? When you give up, you lay down and you're just ready to die. That's depression in a nutshell. I'm not going out the house. I'm not going to see anybody. I'm not going ever out to eat again. I'm going to lay here and die. Straight as that's what it is. Now, I'm not downplaying that. I'm telling you, but when people get into those states, they don't want to do anything. They just want to lay down and be left alone. They don't want anybody to bother them. But that's when we're in our danger zone because we're not moving anymore. Movement sustains life. Some people believe that Psalms 13 was written when David was fleeing from Saul. We all will experience problems. But we can only overcome problems... By the help of the Lord. See, there's something I've learned. Everybody has problems. Everybody. Some people will be overcome with a problem. And some people will overcome the problem. Listen to what I just said. Everybody will have problems. But some people will be overtaken by the problem. While other people will overtake the problem. So we have a choice. We can either be overtaken by the problem and let the problem win, or we can overtake the problem and say, if God be for me, who can be against me? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We have a choice. We all face problems, but are we going to let the problem overtake us, or are we going to walk in victory and newness of life and say, I believe God is able to bring me out of this on the other side and not be overtaken by this problem? Remember Jonah? <laughs> Man, he's a good guy, isn't he? Ooh, got to love Jonah. Jonah thought it was a good idea to go on a floating cruise ship. And the storm showed up. And all of a sudden, Royal Caribbean and Carnival Cruise Line was getting ready to be the Titanic right there in the middle of the sea. Jonah's like, if y'all don't want to go down, and Jack and Rose confessing their undying love for each other in this moment, somebody better throw me overboard or we're all going down with this ship. They said, are you kidding me? He said, I'm telling y'all, you better throw me overboard. I've been running from God. It's my fault. And they're like, are you stupid? What's wrong with you? And you know what? They did. They threw him overboard. That's the short version of four chapters of Jonah. Jonah goes down in the deepness of the depths of the sea. All of a sudden, God sends some ginormous creature, a fish of some sort, and comes by and just swallows this man whole. You know what Jonah said sitting in the belly of that great fish? I screwed this up. Duh. I mean, you're sitting in the bottom of a squid-infested, seaweed-smelling fish guts. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've messed up. That's about as low as you can get. That's pretty bad. You know what he said? God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I got a problem on my hands, and I'm stuck down here in the bottom of the ocean. Can you help me out? And we know God gave him a second chance. But Jonah learned something that David also learned. You can have a problem. But you better know that while you have a problem, you better also know how to pray too. Because the problem's going to always be the problem until you learn how to give it over to God and pray about it. Look at what he said. Consider me and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me uh, rejoice when I am moved. Consider me and hear me. What is he saying? God, I'm talking to you. Are you listening? Help me, Lord. Are you listening? That's prayer. David's praying to God, God, I need help. When we have problems, they always going to be problems. You know the best way to fix a problem? Pray about it. 
I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now. The best way to fix a problem is pray about it. You pray about it, God takes care of it from there. David's at his wit's end. David understood that only God could deliver him. After 35 years of penning Psalms 13, David writes Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O Lord, and attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower for mine enemy. Thirty-five years later, after writing Psalms 13, David in Psalm 61 says, God, I have prayed to you many times in the ups and downs, the goods, the bads, the greats, the highs, the lows. But God, I have come to learn one thing. When I pray, you hear me, and you have been a shelter for me, and you have been a strong tower. You've been a deliverer. You have led me to the rock that was higher than I. Thirty-five years. In that time period, David has had opportunities to kill Saul, but he refused. In that time period, Samuel, the man who prophesied over his life and was his longtime friend and pastor and confidant and mentor, died. Highs and lows. I could take the king out and my best friend and my pastor died. David's doing well. He's got a bunch of men supporting him. Amalekites come when David's away on business. Invade the city of David, takes his family, takes his wife, takes all the kids, burns the city of Ziklag down to the ground, and takes all the people with him. David comes back to a heaping ash of rubble and no family. That's pretty rock bottom. Low. But in all those cases, when those men turned their back on David and said, we're going to kill you, this is your fault. You know what David did? The Bible said he grabbed the ephod and he went and he prayed. He said, God, these men are ready to take me out right now. They say it's my fault, but God, I need you know what God said? Go get back what the enemy took from you. You know, we sang a song, I went to the enemy's camp. It's actually scriptural. David, he told David, he said, David, you go back to where those people that just took your stuff, and you go back and get what's rightfully yours. You go back to the enemy's camp, you take back what they stole from you. And you know what the Bible said? David took his vagabonds of men. They went down there, and they whipped up on some Amalekites. They destroyed their city and burned it to the ground, brought back their wives and children, and lived happily ever after because David knew how to pray in his time of need. You see, David would often inquire of the Lord because he pushed back. He didn't just accept things the way they were. He pushed against the grain. And you know what prayer also does to you? It changes your perspective of things. Right now, I got a problem. Psalms 13, 1 and 2. We got a problem. How long? How long? Will my soul all be in sorrow? Will my heart be broken? How long? David said, man, this is pretty sad and pathetic. God, I need help. I need help. So he started praying. Once he started praying, something interesting happens. The problem is still there. I'm still running from Saul, y'all. I'm still running for my life. I'm still running. But my perspective changes after I talk to God. I wish some of you tonight online, in-house, whatever, would understand what I'm really saying tonight. When you pray, something inside of you should change. The perspective should change. It shouldn't be just how big the problem is. Now my perspective should be, I don't care how big the problem is. The problem doesn't understand how big my God is. My problem might be huge. My problem might be insurmountable. My problem might look like it's not able to be overcome. But I serve a bigger God. I serve a God of exceedingly abundantly above what I can think or comprehend. The problem is bad, but my God is bigger. And my God is better. And my God is able to do whatever he needs to do in that situation his perspective changed see prayer will have that effect look at verse 5 
I got a problem still. How long, how long, how long, how long? God, are you listening? Help me out. Verse 5. But I've trusted you, God, in your mercy. Oh, God, I still got a problem, but I'm going to trust you, Brother James, because, Lord, I know you've been too good to fail me at this point, so I'm going to still trust you, Lord. Yeah, I still don't know how. I'm still running from Saul. Don't really know how it's going to work out. But you know what, God? I know that if you brought me this far, you're not going to leave me now. If you brought me this far, you're going to keep staying with me. You are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. You're always right there. You're my shield, my buckle. You're my defender. God, I know that if you brought me here, this is not. You promised me that one day I would be a king. You promised me one day I would see my children saved. God, you promised me one day I'd see my husband saved or my spouse saved or I see my children say God you promised me that the church would grow one day you promised me that we'd have children in children's church one day or a youth department God you promised me we'd have to build a building one day God you promised me I'd get a better job or a promotion God I haven't seen it yet but God I know you promised it and if you brought me this far they might want to fire me because I don't have a vaccine they might want to leave the church because they don't like something that's going on at the church they might be taking five families with them when they go but God you did not bring me this far to drop me here you didn't bring me here to leave me here I can't help whatever that's going around I know God you didn't bring me here to let me go so God I trust you in your mercy I trust you I begin to think as Miss Carol makes her way I begin to think David has had highs and lows in ministry there have been times God's let him lay bare sometimes God will remove the crutches of life sometimes God will allow us to not be able to lean on our own understanding Sometimes we have to realize that God's not being hateful, but he's being a God to show that he is all we need. Philippians 4 and 6, be anxious of nothing but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Prayer changes my perspective. I began to think, and David changes his perspective. His perspective changed. He starts giving a proclamation to God. After he prayed about it, he's got a problem. He's prayed about the problem. He begins to think, you know what? God's got this. Then he just starts to praise the Lord. He starts proclaiming the goodness of the Lord. He starts praising the Lord. If you don't want to write proclamation down, you can put the word praise in that spot. I got a problem. I prayed about it. And my perspective changed. But once I got to the point that I realized God's got it taken care of and my perspective's a little bit different... I'm just going to praise God because I'm living in the overflow. I'm going to praise God because He's able to do it. I'm going to proclaim the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, I will sing unto the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Or in other translation, He has been good to me. We have sung it around here to the point that probably it's become redundant. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. He's been so good to me. God is so good. Because he's done great things. I began to think about the promises of God. You see, there's still the problem. See, sometimes we'll tell God, God, I'm looking for strength. And God says, be content in weakness because when you are weak, that's when I'm strong. Sometimes we'll tell God, God, I want it now. And sometimes God's saying, I want you to wait. Sometimes we say, God, why are we not moving? And God's saying, why are we just not standing still and seeing the salvation of the Lord? Sometimes we say, God, I need an answer. And God says, why don't you just trust me and leave the details with me instead? In fact, the psalmist 
would eventually go on to pen Psalms 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not suffer my foot to be moved, nor will he keep, he will keep thee, will not slumber. Behold, he will keep Israel, neither the slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not spite, smite me by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve me from all evil. He will preserve my soul. The Lord shall preserve my going out and my coming in from this time forth forevermore. David got to the point that says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God before me. God's going to wake me up in the morning. God's going to keep me safe when I sleep. He doesn't sleep. I sleep. God doesn't sleep. He'll make sure that I'm good when I wake up and drinking my cup of coffee. He'll make sure I'm good when I go to sleep after I take my melatonin pill. He's going to make sure that one way or the other, God's got me in the palm of his hand. Psalms, 1, Psalms 10 and 17. Lord, you hear me? the desires of the afflicted but you encouraged me and you listened to my cry Charles Spurgeon said this to trust God in the light is nothing but to trust God in the dark that's faith it's easy to believe something I can see it's a lot harder for me to believe something I hadn't seen come to pass yet it's easy if somebody walks in here and hands me a million dollar check and says, Here, Pastor, this is supposed to go towards your guys' endeavors to build a new sanctuary. It's easy for me to believe God then and be like, Ooh, thank you, Lord, for providing. No, it's easy for me to shout unto God for victory then because I got a million dollar check in my hand. It's a lot harder when the end of the month comes around. And thank God we've not gotten to this point ever since so I've been here. But it's a lot harder at the end of the month. We're looking at the bills and we're looking at everything that's been paid and there's more money seems like going out than's coming in and we're worried about how we're going to make ends meet. It's a whole lot harder to trust God in that situation than when I got plenty of money coming in. It's easy to say, oh, God's been good. He's, he's been providing my every need. That's great when I've got money raking in and we're not spending a lot of money. It's a lot harder to do when the monies aren't matching up. Hello? I can trust God in the light. It's in the darkness that it's hard. I was thinking about, and I said it a while ago, and then I'm going to get ready to pray. I was thinking about when I was putting this message together. A few minutes ago, I said to you this proclamation. That David, in his spirit, got to a point where he said, You know what, God? You didn't bring me this far to leave me here. You promised me, Samuel prophesied that I'd be king one day. God, I'm not asking you to make that dream a reality right now. But God, one thing I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you sent the man of God. God, I didn't ask you to do it. You sent the man of God to my house and asked it. You did that, God. So I have to know you got something in store that you're going to do. David said, God, I, I believe you didn't bring me this far to let me go. And I began to think about that. David had prophecies of being king, being God's choice servant. But then I took that thought process and I tried to put myself and I tried to put proper perspective today in the context of the day and hour we live in. And here's what I've come up with. This is not like some divine word from the Lord that I got. This is just I'm going to be like David. I, I, we, we, we may have problems that arise here from time to time in the church. We've had those happen, yes. 
we've had bathrooms over flooding. We've had all kinds of problems. We've prayed about some of that stuff before. We've been out here before praying God would let the water table recede before church so that somebody flushes it doesn't come into the church. We've prayed about that before. We've had faith. But I started thinking about, you know, David thought, if David knew God didn't bring him that far to leave him, I started thinking about this church. And I started thinking, you know, I really have a hard time believing that in 1993, the pastor Ard and 12 charter members of this church got together and formed a church. I have a hard time believing that if God was the God of that church organization back then, and by 1994 it becomes organized in a storefront building and they bring in district overseers and different folks come in and pray and preach and they initiate the initiation of the church. They organize it as the Monk's Corner Church of God at the time. If all that is true, if we say that was a God-breathed, God-ordained situation, I have a hard time believing. If God did that then, God all of a sudden wants to shut it down now. I have a hard time believing that. I also have a hard time believing that if God has seen this church get built because they outgrew that building and has seen as many as 80 to 90 people pack in here before at various times, special events or not, just whatever, but 80 to 90 people in this building, sitting in this pew, these pews and hearing the word of the Lord. Some of them that were kids that come to our church now were kids and young people and young adults that are now adults working in the church that used to be a part of that day. I have a hard time believing that God let them see all of these pews packed and all the blessings of God flowing and all this stuff happening for us to shut down and close the doors and not be here anymore in this community. I have a hard time believing that. I also have a hard time believing that if God put us on this property on a four-lane highway with property enough to build if we had to, Good location. I mean, everybody pretty much knows where the tail race is and pretty much everybody knows where Walmart is. And that's about as, we're about as close as you can get without asking can we help them pay their taxes. I mean, we're about as close as you can get without being in the water or literally selling groceries. Good location. We're not on some fourth secondary road. We're not having to tell people, now you turn down this road, you go to the third pine tree on the left, you look for a dirt stop, you look for a reflector, turn left at that reflector, go about another half of the mile, look for the white picket fence that looks like it's falling apart, don't turn at that one, go to the next one that's the ki the chicken coop, turn by the chicken coop, go down about a half a mile, the road's going to go from gravel to a dirt road, and eventually it's going to turn into grass, go on through the cow pasture, and on the other side there's going to be a church. We don't have to tell people how to do that to get to church. Good property. But I've also thought that if God had 80, 90 people in here, we're like David. Our church is like David. We've had highs, 80, 90 people. We've also had lows, 20, 15. We've had days where it was great and days it was challenging. I'm not here to speak bad about anything, but different situations happen. People retire. People feel the call of God to move them to other locations. That always has an effect on the body of Christ. But I will say before God and man that I don't believe 
You can disagree, and that's fine. I don't believe, and then we're going to pray. I don't believe that the last Sunday in June, when I walked into this church, the very last Sunday in June of 2019, there were like 20-something people here. And none of this was here. None of that. There was an old upright piano right here. A curtain still hanging up from Christmas productions. We don't even remember the last time we had one. On our bolts. That piano still wrapped up in foam. I mean, it's wrapped up in plastic over here. Never been turned on a day in its life. Maybe once, but then it got wrapped back up in plastic. I mean, still brand new out the box. Cover's still on it. That particular time, only one musician who would eventually segue out to, besides the preacher, left me and Miss Sherry, just the two of us. We can make it if we try, just the two of us. That's all we had. That's all we had. Y'all, some of y'all were here. That's all we had. 20-something people. By July 14th, they come to the first Sunday. Same kind of story. You're just here. Don't be here. Make the best of the situation. Some two years later, I don't believe God would allow us to have the money to pay over thousands of dollars in equipment and we've already paid ourselves back not be missing the money. I don't believe God would give us the latest and greatest technology for us to produce these services for people who are not able to come or are sick or homebound or could go watch it later and have podcasts or have all these ways to get the gospel out. I don't believe God would give us computers and camera systems and television, all wireless microphones and organs for free and drums that we were able to afford and, and nice pianos that we didn't even know that was working because they were just wrapped up. I don't believe God would let us do that. If he wanted us to fold up and die. I don't believe that. You, you say I'm crazy. I don't believe God would want that. And I also don't believe this. I don't believe that if God. I don't believe God's the author of confusion period. I don't believe God would allow us. To see. And I'm not going to say it's low in a bad way. But to come in when I walk through the doors. of 20 something people here. I don't believe God would allow us to see 20-something people here in 2019 in July. And by 2021, double in how many people come to church if God wanted us to die. Over the last three weeks, we have been over 50 people in the house of the Lord. About a month ago, Two Sundays in a row, we hit over 60 people in the house of God. I remember what it looked like when there was only 25 of us in this building. I remember what it looked like when on Wednesday night, I only thought there was going to be about three of us here. <laughs> Just about three or four of us. I remember. But I also know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God did not bring us this far to let us die either. I'm like David. God didn't bring us this far for us to sit by and just lick our wounds. No, God brought us this far to say, hey, I got more for you to do. I got more that you need to do. Now, I don't know if that's going to be 60, 100, 150, 200, 300, 500, or 1,000 people one day. I don't care how many it is. Or it might be 50 for the rest of our life, but I don't believe God brought us this far to let us die right now. Whether it's COVID-related, whether it's the struggles with the economy, whether it's the struggles with the government, I don't believe God got us this far to say, now nah, I'm going to let you go and hope you figure it out. No, no, I don't believe that. But I do believe if God brought us this far, just like David. David said, I prayed about it. We prayed about it. 
We got problems, sure. But David prayed about it. We prayed about it. We've had prayer meetings, vigils. David said, I'm going to declare my perspective's different. God didn't bring me this far to let me go, and I believe that. And this morning, I believe God proved what I've been asking him to do. I said, God, I don't want our sons and our daughters, I don't want people to grow up and not even know what Pentecost is anymore. There's a lot of people coming to church that don't even know what Pentecostal is this morning. They don't even know what that means. I need you to show that you're still alive and powerful. But I can say tonight, one thing I do know, that last point was that David gave a proclamation or he praised God, just like we did this morning. I don't believe God brought us this far because I believe what David said. I will sing unto the Lord because he has been good unto me. He's been good to you. He's been good to you. He's been good to me. But corporately, God has been good to this body. Six six or seven, I don't know the exact number, are getting baptized next Sunday morning. To profess their faith one more time and tell everybody they love Jesus Christ. You know what that means? God's been good to us. We got a brand new state of the art. You can't even believe what it looks like children's ministry building. That's already paid for. And we owe nothing. Because God's been good to us. If there's ever been a time that we've got a right to praise God, it's right now because we have been dealt good to and dealt bountifully with by the Lord. God's been good. So this is what I want to do. As you stand all over the house and we get ready to pray. Those joining online, God bless you. Thank you for joining. Normally I pray and I ask you, do you have a need? If you have a need, raise your hand. But I already told you, we all have problems. I know that. David knew that. We all have problems. I've told you many times before, you got to learn to pray for yourself just as good as you have me pray for you too. I also told you that prayer will change your perspective of things too. But I feel like it's kind of a, it would be misfitting to end this service differently if after this morning I ended it with, I felt like the Lord wanted us to be praising Him for what He's done. And leaving here magnifying and glorifying the name of the Lord. I think I would do a disservice to this body and to the office that I stand in if I said tonight, well, let's just go out here, Debbie Downers, and let's just cry and wail and moan and groan and just feel like we're defeated and depressed. No, no, no. I'm not going to ask you to walk Jericho laps again tonight. Well, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to pray for God to do something tonight. We're going to praise the Lord in our prayer, and we're going to give a prayer of thanksgiving to God tonight. I know it's not November, but you know what? You can be thankful all the year long. It don't have to just be November. So as a part of this benedictory prayer, before I have Brother Randy, after I pray and then let Brother Randy close this out in prayer, we're going to pray, God, you already know the needs. That's not what we're here for. God, we know that you know what's going on in our lives. But, God, I just want to take a little time right now just to say thank you. There's an old Lindell Cooley song. It actually says that. It just says, I just want to take a little time right now to say thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. That's all the whole song is. Just a song of thanksgiving. Because I believe, as I said this morning, our correlation, there's a correlation between our level of praise and God's level of disbursement of blessings on this church. The more we praise Him for what He's done and going to do, the more likely we are going to receive the blessings from God like we've never seen done before. Father, to the very best of my ability, I have proclaimed, preached, and declared what thus saith the word of Almighty God. 
God, there's men and women under the sound of my voice tonight that have needs, and I know that, they know that, you know that. God, this church has needs and things we need you to do for us as a body, individually, corporately, and collectively. But God, we're going to take the time right now to have a different perspective of situation. We just want to take the next 30 seconds to say to you, thank you. We praise your name. We glorify. We magnify the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are God to the glory of God the Father, that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the shield, the buckler, the glory, the lifter of our heads. God, we can lift up our eyes from which our help cometh from, the, the hills which our help comes from, because our help cometh from the Lord. God, we are just thanking you that you are always a very present help. In time of trouble, we thank you that you are the balm of Gilead. You're the sweet rose of Sharon. You're the great I Am. We thank you you're the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. God, you're the soon coming king. God, we thank you that you're the deliverer, the the savior, and of the salvation that we need. God, we thank you for being our high priest. We thank you that you are able to always be praying and interceding on our behalf to the Father. God, we just want to say thank you today. We thank and magnify and praise your name tonight. Not because we need you to do anything else. If you do, we thank you for that. But God, we know we're already indebted beyond belief to what you've done for us. So God, tonight I pray a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of blessings. God, and may you bless these people. May you make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them. Give them the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts till our time come with you again. And God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my God, my Redeemer, I forever praise you. And as you remain in the spirit of prayer of thanksgiving and praise, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Ertzberger to so kindly take us back to the throne of grace and just thank the Lord one more time. And after his prayer is concluded, you can consider yourselves to be dismissed. God bless you in the name of Jesus. Brother Randy.